right, well, hey, so I'm glad you're all here this morning. We are going to uh, we get this in a little bit after I get done speaking. Eliana's right here. She's going to get baptized today, and we are very excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, so we'll do that after I get done talking. We say the, we say the best for last, Eliana, basically. So, uh, but hey, this morning we want to dive into, back into Ephesians. Uh, we have been, look, going through Ephesians and we're getting honestly near to the end. We're getting near to the end. We're going to basically be in Ephesians uh, chapter 6 this morning, looking at verses 10 through 12. And I'm going to read it to us this morning and then we're going to dive in. It says this, finally. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So I find it really interesting here as we get into this that, that Paul has spent the better part of chapter 4, chapter 5, and, chapter, and half of chapter 6 coming and talking about, all right, here are the things that we're calling you to do. You need to imitate Christ. This is what it looks like. Here's what it's going to look like in your life. Here are the expectations and things you need to be doing, right? And then he comes and says, all right, so we're now, I've done with this portion. I'm going to come to the conclusion now of my letter. And he begins by saying, finally, be strong in the Lord. And what I want to say this morning as we dive in is that I believe that, that Paul ultimately is doing this work. He's ultimately doing this work of hopefully this wanting to awaken them and open their eyes to a reality that maybe they didn't know. And a sense of opening their eyes to a reality of their strength, they're going to find, they're going to find in Jesus. We're going to look at that. But also awaken their eyes to a completely different world, this world of the spirit realm that honestly they, they need to be awakened to and they need to know. And so with that in mind, Paul dives into this whole message. So let me begin with this, with this story. At Randall's 10th anniversary, friends of ours came and they gave us a free place to stay on the island of St. John in the Caribbean. It's one of those places you fly in on an airplane to St. Thomas, you then rent a car, you get on one of those like car carrying boats, and you go over to this small island and you drive off, right? We had to get a four-wheel drive vehicle because those are the types of roads during the island of St. John, literally having to put it in four-wheel drive just to get up our driveway to the house that we're staying is one of those places, right? We look over this incredible bay area, and literally off in the distance, you see Treasure Island that the books have been written about. That was the place we stayed, right? It was one of the places we'll never go again, but it was awesome for our 10-year anniversary. So in that, we had a blast. It was amazing. So every day, we'd hop in our four-wheel drive Jeep, throw all of our stuff in there, and we'd just drive every day from beach to beach because there were enough beaches while we were there to go to a different one every single day. And here was our experience. We'd come up to the beach, and we'd get our chairs and our stuff. They'll say this is the ocean, and we'd plant our chair right there, right? And we'd be like literally this close to the ocean all day long. It was amazing. But the, great, the beautiful thing was this. It was like kind of one of those, like, it was like, it was not deserted, but there were not a ton of people there. It was super quiet on the beach, super serene, not massive waves, or kind of barely lapping onto the shore. So it was one of those incredibly restful and peaceful experiences right here at the beach, just that close to the water. It was amazing every single day. But also, we wanted to be a little adventurous, and so every day we took our snorkeling gear with us, right? 
And so every day we would sit there and we had snorkel. We felt really cool. We had great stuff, right? Putting our snorkel gear on, our fins and our masks, snorkels, all that kind of stuff. And we get into the water. And I'm never forget the very first time. I've snorkeled before in certain places, right? Like in Panama City, right? But it's like you go down to the Caribbean, you go underwater to snorkel, and it's like all of a sudden, just inches where we've been sitting, was this whole new literal ecosystem. I mean, like this the the fish that you could see, right? And the coral and and the and the greenery or lack thereof. I mean, it was like so many colors, and it was this a hundred miles an hour fish going everywhere at one point, like one of the last days we were there, for those of you who fish, it's like I literally, I saw this tarpon swimming. I thought, that's really interesting. So I'm going to get in the water and just follow him. And I literally followed him to a school of tarpon that were three feet long and there were thousands of them. And I'm swimming in the middle of them, right? Like it was just crazy. And to be honest with you, a little bit scary, right? Because you're like, what else could be in the waters? And that was the reality. Just inches from this place that was serene and quiet was the hustle and bustle of something that was beautiful and honestly a little bit scary all at the same time. And so when Paul begins to, to dive in in chapter 6 and verse 10, what I want to say this morning is that I believe that, that Paul literally is leading them to consider a whole new world. Just seemingly inches from where they had been sitting before. Up to this point, remember Paul has urged his readers to stand against the pagan lifestyle. He's told them, hey, there are these sins. He named them. They should separate from them and stand distant from them, right? Sins should have a place in their life. And then he spends several, a couple of chapter and a half, talking about these different relationships, Really important relationship between husband and wife and parent and children. We said last week, employee and employer and the nature of that relationship in the kingdom and the idea of using those relationships to be a, a city on a hill, to be a, to be a light in the darkness for those who were separated and far from God. And he comes and says, I want you to, these are all the things that I am, I'm calling you to do, right? And all of this requires, all of this requires their choice and their effort. But Paul then shifts gears here in verse 10, and he gives them what I would say are two primary pieces of wisdom to consider and embrace. And they are this. Number one, every day of life requires the strength of the Lord. And the second thing is this. Our greatest hindrance into light, to living life that we're called to live is not human beings or things of this world, but the reality of evil in our world. So he's coming and saying, all right, there's this whole different world, this whole different life experience that you need to know of, that you need to understand. I've called you to this life, these things that I've called you to do. I've called you to separate from sin. I've called you to invest into these primary relationships. I've, I've called you to be a light, right? I've called you to be, to, to be those that people are drawn to so you can express Jesus to them in their lives. He's called them to all these things. He's saying, but now listen, finally, with the very last thing you need to hear me say, number one is this. Every day of your life and fulfilling these things is going to be overwhelming, requires the strength of the Lord. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it. Secondly, man, there's a very real spiritual enemy that you need to be awakened to and think about and not be ignorant to because 
it is actually, this enemy is actually what you are primarily fighting against in the context of life. So let's dive in this morning. This kind of whole new world that Paul's talking about. So we look at verse 10. It says, the phrase I want you to hear, it's on the screen, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Finally. So we've gotten through all this stuff. Finally, this is kind of the final conclusion. The first thing I want you to hear me say, you know how in a conclusion that you write, in a letter that you're writing, the first sentence of your conclusion is kind of like that hook to make sure you're making your point. Paul's coming saying, all right, out of everything I said, finally, hear me, listen, be strong in the Lord. Paul recognizes, again, they need the strength of Jesus to accomplish everything that he's just called them to do. In two chapters, two and a half chapters, it's been a weighty list of things that he's honestly called them to and called them to fulfill. But it was something, this idea, this strength, it was something that they didn't have to work for. It was something that was given to them. The key The key phrase, I want you all to hear this, the key phrase is be strong, and then I put in capital bold, in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. To be in the Lord, it speaks of being in a unique, intimate relationship. It speaks to being in a relationship. So let's talk real quick. For those of you who were married, I'm going to talk to you real quick. Remember... You remember when you weren't in a relationship? You remember like when you were like in junior high, high school, like, hey, you date anybody? Like, like, and your thought is, I hate you, no. <laughs> right? Because you were painfully single. Because that's really what you wanted. You're like, no, I'm not. Thank you for bringing it up. I appreciate that. No pain right here at all. No, I'm very single. Thank you. Right? No Valentine's Day kiss for me. Awesome. Thank you. Right? There's a whole dynamic going down. You're living in your singleness. It's utterly painful. Some of you are experiencing that today. You're like, oh, my gosh. He's talking about singleness. I hate singleness. I called it growing up the plight of singleness. I'm like, duh, because you, in your mind, you had so much you wanted to give. But you had that moment. You had that moment. You had that moment in like first time, middle school, high school, whatever it is. Somebody's talking to everybody here. And all of a sudden someone said, hey, are you dating anybody? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in a relationship. And it was like, ah, right? Angela Kors is going off. You're super excited. All your, yes, I'm in a relationship. Uh, someone actually cares about me. Yes, I'm loved right now. That's what you're getting at, right? Like you have all of these feelings. You're so excited to say, I'm in a relationship. All of us that we're talking about. It's just the nature of being in a relationship. Why? Because in a relationship, what did you feel? You felt like someone's there, someone cares, someone's listening. We were created to be in relationship. So there's a sense of like fulfillment of like, yes, I, I feel this sense of, of completeness or this like, you know, I'm getting this idea of like, oh, something feels right. And so you have that on this level here, but then the Flip side of it, here's once you're in marriage. It's like, it's not just in a relationship, but you're in a marriage. It's like this macro level of this. And here's the thing about being in a, in a marriage. Like you go from like these two single beings to all of a sudden you become one. And in that oneness of being in relationship, in marriage, it's like all of a sudden... You become one, and what used to be my resources is actually now our resources. 
Because everything that belongs to me belongs to my spouse. Everything that belongs to my spouse now belongs to me. And so Paul's coming in, honestly, intentionally using this analogy of being, of being in the Lord. He's saying, so being in the Lord is being in this marriage and being in this relationship. And so all the walls are down. And now all the resources that belong to Jesus now belong to you. That's what it means to be in the Lord. That every resource that belongs to Jesus now belongs to you because you're in relationship. You're in the Lord. And I'll just say this. Like you understand the analogy. It is absolutely true. All of your resources, which are very limited, now belong to Jesus, right? And now all of Jesus' resources, which are unlimited, now belong to you. And so Paul's saying, listen, don't worry. I've called you to do all of these things, but it's okay. Just be strong in the Lord. Just be strong in the relationship. Give yourself to that relationship. Make it your priority. Give yourself to it. Because when you give yourself to it, all of the resources for all of you are now belong to you. And so there's a strength that's in the Lord because of his resources that now are yours. Being in the Lord. Paul specifically highlights the resource of Jesus' strength. That we possess and that we honestly can exercise at will. We don't have to pray for strength. We have Jesus if we know Jesus, if we know the Lord, if we're in him. So now we have his resources. We have his strength. It doesn't, doesn't come and go. But it resides with us as an unlimited resource available to us because we are in relationship with Jesus. And the idea, obviously, it's like we, we pursue that. We pursue the relationship. We, we make it our priority. Paul, without really saying it, but like an unspoken say, so God, that's why it's imperative that you were in Jesus. You were giving your life to him every day that you're pursuing that because you need his resources. Verse 11. Verse 11 says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you will stand against the schemes of the devil. In verse 11, that strength is, strength is broken down. It's, it's, honestly, it's expressed in the unique image, imagery of the armor of God. We're going to look in depth at this next week, so I'm just going to highlight it this week as it talks about it here. But, but the idea is that this week, the armor of God, it speaks to the unique resources of God's presence. It speaks to the unique resources of God's presence. And hear this. That we must receive from him, we embrace it, and then we own them as truth in our life. It is one thing to have it available. It's nothing altogether to embrace it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to give ourselves to it. Another thing to have a mental assent. Another thing altogether to wholeheartedly engage it and believe it as belonging to us. So in this, he's saying, I want you to embrace this. We're called to embrace here, what? His belt of truth. Truth. We're going to talk about this in a second, but the primary tool of the enemy in your life and in mine is to lie and to slander. 
We live every day believing lies about ourselves that we're not strong. We can't. We're unable. We're not, we're not capable. All of these lies we believe every day. And the God's saying, no, no, no. You have to take truth because it's the only thing that dispels lies that we believe. We have to receive and embrace and own this gift of truth of Jesus in our lives that we've been set free. The second is salvation. The helmet of salvation, we have to recognize that when Jesus has saved us, he's saved us completely. We've gone from death into life. We've been redeemed, right? So I don't know about you, but I have been saved. I have been set free. I have been redeemed. But I'll be honest with you, there are things in my life in places where I don't feel like it. I feel overwhelmed in my quote-unquote my salvation. That God, I feel like I've been saved, but man, not fully from this. No, no, no. I have to embrace the truth that God has set me free. I've been saved. Breastplate of righteousness. Look at this again, more next week, but the idea of righteousness. It means that you, when you gave your life to Jesus because of his work in your life, put you in right standing with God. You can walk into his presence without your head down because he calls you son and daughter. With head up, I have been made righteous by the work that he has done, not by my work, so I can't boast. He made me righteous. Do I live like I am in right standing today? Do I put my head down and feel like I have to to walk in guilt for a season to get over my sin? No, I recognize my sin. I say, God, and I walk straight into his presence, and he receives me. I'm in right standing because of his work in my life. Have I, listen, have I received it? Have I embraced it? And has I owned it as truth in my life? What about the shoes of the gospel of peace? Like, do, do you ever pray for peace? You don't have to pray for peace like it's outside here. No, it's inside. Why? Because you've been, you've been, you're now in relationship with Jesus. He sent the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and of the Holy Spirit and everything that belongs to him, as in the love, joy, peace, right, is inside. And so we're like, no, it's a resource that's available to me at all times. It's present. I have to, listen, I have to receive it, embrace it, and own it as truth. There's, the, there's faith. You, because of the work of Jesus and of being one with him, already own and have access to faith that moves mountains. You already have access to faith that moves mountains. The faith that Jesus modeled for us. Jesus didn't model something for us that we could never attain to or never reach. He only modeled for us what he expected our lives to look like. It's a real simple Bible. It's theology at a ground level. Jesus was the second Adam, Scripture says, to show us what a human being empowered by the Spirit can look like. We have faith through Jesus in us to move mountains. And we have the sword of the word. It's given to us, man. 
The words of Jesus. I can hear them when I pray and I can read them when I pick up my Bible. And they are active. And they're powerful. In every area of life. As we engage these resources of God's presence, we're able to stand against the assault of the enemy. And you never have to cower in fear. I mean, these are words I feel like God, I mean, I, y'all, I don't know, if, this may not be going anywhere with y'all, but I just feel it so deep, man. It's like God's saying, my presence is here so that you can stand. I'm not going to make you bow down to an enemy who's coming. That's not who I am. No one bows to Jesus. I mean, no one bow, everyone bows to Jesus, sorry. No one bows to the enemy. We never bow to the enemy. Do you, could you imagine Jesus inside of you cowering and bowing down to the enemy? Never. We lose that. We never cower. We never have to bow down in the face of the enemy. As we engage these resources of God's presence, we stand against the assault of the enemy. We will. We are strong enough to withstand any of his attacks. So then Paul shifts gears in verse 12. says, all right, let's talk about Let's talk about this other world just inches away. Let's talk about this other world just inches away. Verse 12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So that's just this literary tool to express, right, all the, the, the negative aspect of the enemy. But simply stated, this verse simply says this. Our struggle is not with human beings, but with evil spiritual forces. That's simplistically what Paul is trying to say. Our struggle is not with people or things in this world. It's with evil spiritual forces. Today, so much of our culture rejects the idea of a spirit realm as being archaic or being simple-mindedness. However, the idea of a spirit realm with angels and demons was absolutely the belief of Paul. It was absolutely the belief and the experience of Jesus and his disciples. And honestly, the kind of the being set free from a demonic presence was the number one miracle that Jesus did again and again and again, releasing people from spiritual bondage. We see it with Jesus in Mark chapter 5, where he's casting demons out of a man who's tortured in the cemetery, like it was legion, because there were so many. See the testimony of Mary Magdalene. She's a disciple of Jesus, right? She had seven demons cast out of her before she became a disciple of Christ. In Luke, 8, in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. In the early church, we see evil spirits coming out of people in the ministry of all the disciples in Acts chapter 19. What's even more crazy is how much of the world today absolutely accepts the reality of a spirit realm. Whether you're traveling in Africa, whether you're traveling, traveling in Asia, whether it's in Central America or South America, all over the world, people believe in a spirit realm. And I'll just be honest with you, it's because they've experienced it. I'll never forget sitting with this guy. I'm going to make this story short. I told it before about a guy named P. Sam. P. Sam was this guy in India. He was like 70-something years old. Been running a children's home for many, many years under the ministry of Amy Carmichael. And he told a story. Like, he's, and like and My friend Tammy said, you've got to go talk to him. Push him on the front porch with him. I'm like, okay. And so we sat on the front porch. And, man, he was like Jesus, right? Super, just amazingly humble. And, and so he starts talking. I start, man, talk about ministry. Talk about ministry. Talk about life. I said, man, talk about when ministry shifted. He said, well, there was that time early on in ministry in India 
He said, where one of our children died, and that was a really, really big deal because we were a Christian ministry. We were hated by the government, and so they were looking for a reason and a way to shut us down. And they said, if one of your children died, we'll have to come close it. And so a child died. I didn't know what to do, so I just took the dead child up into my room, and I closed the door and just began to pray. And he said, like, one hour, two hours, five hours, six hours, 12 hours later, all of a sudden, the police are outside the door just knocking on the door. Let us in. We know you have a dead child in there. He said the child literally was not breathing, completely pale white, was very dead, right? He wasn't stupid, right? He knew the child was dead. He said, all of a sudden, said, Lord, you have to move now. And all of a sudden, the child coughed, came back to life. As the door crashed down, he's like, what? <laughs> right? There he is right here. And he's standing up. It's like, oh, we heard he died. Nope, he's right here. Here's the deal. I played badminton with that kid when I was right up, just post-college. We're sitting in, we're sitting in Tammy's home, and, I, and one of our common friends goes, that's the dead guy, <laughs> right? And I'm like, that's crazy, right? And so I'm like, you died. He's like, yeah, it was pretty cool. I'm back to life, right? And so we're playing badminton. We're really good. And so anyway, we're playing. So all that to say, I look at Peace Sam, and I'm like, that's crazy. And he said, me. He said, but it's so sad. He said, he looked at me. He said, let me tell you something about India. We don't need people to come here and preach the gospel. We don't need that. We don't need people to come and even plant churches here. We've got people who are doing that. He said, we don't even, we don't even need you to come and do evangelism because there's so many walls. Up. What we need is this. We need Christians who will come and who will pray and who will intercede and they will never stop because here's the reason. I hear about these revivals. This is back back in the 90s, early 2000s. These revivals that are happening in South America where thousands upon thousands of demons are being cast out of people every day. And said, Steve, do you know where they're coming? They're coming here because every day in our Hindu temples, someone is crying out to a new God to reveal themselves in our polytheistic religion here, crying out every day some spirit is revealing itself to them. We need you to pray. This is his reality. This was not living in the serene, but recognizing just inches away in front of him was a very authentic spirit realm. And so with that in mind, with that in mind, the idea of Paul's teaching here is very simple. He did not want them to be ignorant of the ultimate source of opposition that they would face. Ignorance is not a bad word. Ignorance means I'm just not aware of something, and so I don't know until I experience and see, and then I know, right? And so in this, he doesn't want them to be ignorant of the ultimate source of opposition they would face. Why? Because there were real authentic human beings that they were wrestling with in the physical. He's like, no, no, that's not it. Stop blaming the Roman Empire. Right. Stop blaming the Roman emperor. Stop blaming all these human beings. I'm telling you what you're actually wrestling with is something in the spirit realm. Right. Paul's heart is echoed by Peter in first Peter five, eight says, be sober minded, be watchful. Like you know what sober minded means. Do you know how you're sitting there driving down the road and you've driven about five miles and you realize I have no idea What's happened in the last five minutes, 
<laughs> right? And you're like, man, did I just run some red lights, some stop signs? Did I kill somebody back there? I have no idea, right? I need to be sober. I need to be awake. I need to be aware. I need to recognize what's going on. And Peter's saying, you have to be sober-minded. You have to wake up and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Like that, that's amazing. Peter's coming and recognizing, guys, you have to be aware, your enemy is real, it's authentic, it's just an intro way out here in this whole different realm of world you really can't see, right? It's a whole different world. So my first, my conviction in these verses, number one, is that Paul is speaking to the reality of demonic forces in the spirit realm, opposite the angelic forces. The battle, we are told, takes place in the heavenly realms. Hear this, everyone. Heavenly realms does not mean up here where God dwells or somewhere in between where God dwells and we dwell. We are spiritual beings, meaning we live in a spirit realm, so we live in the physical and the spiritual. And so in this, right, the, this idea that, that simply speaks the realm of the spirit, the ever-present reality of space that surrounds us every day but is unseen in the physical. It's right here. So in the spirit realm. This may be new to you. You may think I'm crazy. But that means in this room, there are angelic forces who are sitting here and enjoying our time. But let me tell you, unfortunately, that means there's also demonic that's happening right here in this room. People who sit here and like I talk, as if a word doesn't make any sense, I wonder, is there a spirit of confusion? People around you and someone's picking at you and there's a distraction. Is that the enemy? I don't know. Maybe it is. I told someone one time, I said, when, this is a true story, I found that every single time I've said to myself on a Sunday morning, man, I just really don't want to go to church today, I would love to stay in and sleep. 100, listen, 100% of the time, that Sunday, there's a breakthrough in my life every time. Every time. That's a true story. I'm not saying every time I'm going to sleep in on Sunday morning, it's the enemy. I'm not saying that, but you understand my heartbeat behind that. We just have to be aware. What are the voices that I'm listening to? What are they? Second, the language of both flesh and blood. The language here of both flesh and blood. Right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these evil forces. It speaks to the conviction of believers. It speaks to the conviction of believers to keep their eyes, listen, focus on both the physical and the spirit realm as both represent our reality. To only be focused on one and not the other will keep us unhealthy and unproductive in our daily walk. The idea is very simple. To only be focused on the spiritual will keep us out of balance and ineffective in living today in relationship with the world around us. You've been around those people, you say, man, they all, they're just like, they can't even like have a real conversation. Everything's like Jesus talk. And you say to and like, who's the last person you want to have your unbelieving neighbor be around? That person, because they're like, they're just a little bit off, and they can't have a normal conversation about normal life because they're like so heavenly minded of no earthly good. It's just not helpful. It's just not helpful. And so the idea is the life that we live is important in the physical. And it has kingdom impact. Your jobs and your parenting and your marriages in the physical, they're all vitally important. They are super huge. However, living only focused on the physical, it will handicap us from the reality of the spirit. If we are unaware that much of our struggle 
or the primary issue of struggle in life has a spiritual source that can be defended against, what will happen? We will find ourselves losing again and again in life and just not understand why. We will lack a sense of need for protection because of a lack of understanding of spiritual forces. We have to be awake. Let me just tell you this. I told this to the first, and I want you to hear this. Every single, this is a true story, every single Sunday morning, literally, for the past nine years when I wake up to come to Vintage, I wake up early, usually between 4 and 5 o'clock, and, and every single time I wake up, I hear a voice saying, today's going to be terrible and you're going to suck. You're a terrible pastor. I don't know why anybody follows you. You're really, you're, just not, you're really not that great, Steve. You really need to be honest and just say, Vintage is probably not going to make it. Every single Sunday morning for nine years, I wake up to that. And let me tell you something. I'm a positive guy. I think I'm awesome. And so, what I mean by that is this. I don't naturally think that way. Like, I don't naturally beat myself up. I don't naturally do that. That would be out of my, that's out of context for who I am to wake up and just tell myself, and it absolutely ain't Jesus. Who's telling me that? Every single morning for nine years. In this, I have to wake up every Sunday morning and go, man, the enemy, he must be scared of what's going to happen today at Vintage. You know what I'm saying? He must be afraid of the word I got to bring this morning. I probably should be more afraid when he doesn't come and meet me on Sunday mornings because that means something ain't happening, ain't happening right. You know, I'm getting that like, man, I got to be aware. But every morning, I hear that voice. Does that voice sound familiar to you? In any place of your life? Do you think it's just you? Do you think it's Jesus? Because I don't think he ever condemns anybody in scripture. We have to be aware of the fight that we're fighting. So the first thing we have to do is ask, what do we fight against? What do we fight against? According to verse 11, we fight against the devil's scheme. Against his scheme. And 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us we must not be unaware of his schemes. We are told Satan is the father of lies. Therefore, his primary scheme, his primary tactic in your life is lying and slander. Every Sunday morning I wake up, he lies to me and he slanders, right? It is his primary, really his only offensive tool. He is able, listen, he is not able, this, this is good, he is not able to make a good person bad. He doesn't have that power. He makes a flawed person worse, listen, where he is able to aggravate what is already in you. Is it your anger? Well, he can jump onto that. Your jealousy? He can pick on that. Your fear? He can pick at that. Your anxiety? He can pick at that. The idea is simple. The enemy can't, listen, the enemy can't make you do anything. James 1 is very clear. All he can do is tempt you. Speak to you, lie to you, coerce you with his voice to try to make you do something. And then you, in your own willpower, then choose to do something. All that he can do is prey upon your greatest areas of weakness. 
He highlights and preys upon your greatest areas of weakness. We must, listen, we have to recognize he has a strategy for our lives and our body for the long haul. It's a long journey for him. He will lie and tear down in each of these areas and try to lead us to a place of brokenness. The second thing we have to recognize is this. We never, we never underestimate the enemy, but listen, we never overestimate him either. To underestimate, the word that Paul uses in verse 12 is the word wrestle or the word struggle. It speaks to being on hands and knees wrestling, meaning it's a formidable foe. You only have to get on your hands and knees and wrestle if the, if the enemy you're going against has a, le- a level of strength in your life. The enemy is smart. He has a plan of attack. He knows our personal and corporate weaknesses, whether it's pride. Hear these things, right? Don't tune out. Whether it's your pride, whether it's your fear, whether it's your lust, whatever it may be in your life. And he preys upon these in our lives. That's why it's imperative that you have a discipline of self-awareness to recognize the areas of your life he's preying upon. Be honest. Because then we never overestimate the enemy. We're going to end on good news. We never overestimate. Paul's language here is to be, remember, to be strong in the Lord, recognizing we are one with him, having all of his resources, his wisdom, his discernment, his awareness, meaning Paul's expectation is we can withstand any wrestling match we have with the enemy. We should always expect success. We never overestimate. We never do. The activity of Jesus in the New Testament and the disciples in the early church was to break the back of the enemy and release people from spiritual bondage. I think it's like around Luke 11, I think, don't hold me to that, right, where Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit onto his disciples. He sends them out two by two, and they all report back, oh my gosh, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were like flabbergasted. This is unbelievable. We have the power to break off spiritual bondage of those who were held by it. This is powerful, right? This is the activity of Jesus. They've come to release people from spiritual bondage. Why? Because in this whole different world, how can they do it? In this whole different world that's just two inches away from us every day, Jesus is always Lord. That's why. Jesus is always Lord. He has authority and that authority resides in us, meaning we have authority as we have all of his resources belonging to us. That's the message of Jesus. Paul doesn't want anyone to be ignorant. He wants to simply awaken us to this world right in front of this whole different world. Say, now listen, this world, man, it's a little bit, it's unknown to you. Right? It's unknown to you. Like that time, I mean, I'm not trying to glorify the moment, but this was one of the moments for me. This woman comes and sits down at my desk, and she's kind of fidgeting. I'm like, I knew her. I'm like, what's going on? All of a sudden, in a male voice, she says, I'm going to kill you. And I went, okay, well, there's a demonic thing going on here, right? That's not going to happen. So I said, oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. You need to be set free. She's like, like this, right? 
So I just call somebody in, and 10 minutes, boom, Jesus sets her free, and she's sitting there in her freedom. Praise God, right? I didn't get afraid. Why? Because you don't ever have to cower and bow down to the enemy. When you wrestle going into dark places and you fear cripples you, it's like recognize. Sometimes it's like wisdom, don't go down that, that, that path, right? Sometimes it's just the enemy trying to cripple you. And we just name the things. Where is he preying upon you? Is it worry? Is it fear? Is it doubt? I don't know where those things are in you. Questions, just a few questions, and then we're going to baptize Eliana. We're going to celebrate going from death into life. These things are all true for you, babe. It's all you. Do you feel strong? Like in the moment, right now, like I'm talking. This week, did you feel strong? Did you walk in confidence? If you know Jesus, you have every resource available to express strength. It belongs to you. Have you named a human being, right, as your greatest opposition in life or a person you believe is keeping you from peace, breakthrough, and the abundant life? He or she is not your enemy. He or she is not your enemy. It is the enemy preying upon their fear, their doubt, their rejection, their insecurity, or maybe yours. It's the enemy preying upon. That's why Jesus says, that's why you can pray for your enemy who you see as a human being. Why? Because they're not really, they're, they're not really your enemy. They're just a human being being tormented and being preyed upon by the enemy. So pray that you can set them free. Pray for your enemy because they're held in bondage. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't have any clue what they're doing. How could he pray that looking at those who had tormented him? Simple. Because he saw there was not them. It was the enemy preying upon them, tormenting them, and he wanted them to be set free. Do you know the weak points of your life that the enemy preys upon? The things that he comes and the places, like I say in my life, I'm like, there's a familiar door that the enemy camps out at because he knows I'm probably going to open that door all the time, right? Just those familiar things, those places that, I, that he usually goes to, the first place he attacks. Just, let's work with Jesus on that. Let's just not go out that door anymore. Let's find victory through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life because Jesus didn't just partially redeem you guys. He fully redeemed you. Ask the Lord this week to make you aware of his strength, the reality of this whole different world that Paul is naming here in Ephesians 6, to break down ignorance and awaken you to truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. And Father, we thank you for your power. We thank you, Father, for your ability and your desire to set your people free fully. We're asking this morning, God, that you just begin this work of awakening. You begin this work, Lord putting your finger on things. You do this work, Lord, of 
of awakening us from our ignorance. Father, we pray this morning. I pray you would make us unafraid to be awakened to what's happening in the spirit realm. Because God, we like the comfort of the physical because we feel like we have control. We have a hard time in the spirit realm because we don't have any control and that scares us. But I pray as you awaken us to that realm, you say, no, no, don't worry. I'm still Lord here. Just as I am Lord in the physical, you don't have to fear. So Jesus, I speak to fear this even those who are a little bit unnerved by this, God, it's like there's a, there's a root of fear in their life. I just uproot that fear and say, no, in Jesus' name, you have to go. And you would set us free this morning.